Good evening. Hope you enjoyed the new test to make sure that you are awake. Um, I didn't get as much of a reaction from that as I thought I would. Must have shocked you all into a catatonic state. <laughs> yeah, you're deaf. If you're online, you don't know what we're talking about. We just had a little bit of a, a wake-up call, a bit of a loud noise that rang through the building uh, before we started. It's always fun trying to break in new microphones, and we will get that straightened out eventually. Uh, I'm glad that, or at least I certainly hope, I almost said I'm glad that no one videoed. I hope there's not a video of the way I reacted when I turned that microphone on because I probably jumped the highest I've ever jumped my whole entire life. I've never been accused of jumping high, but I might have been accused of jumping high that one time right then. It was loud. But I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad to be able to stand before you tonight. I hope you have your Bibles with you and you've got them open to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We've been studying 1 Timothy on Sunday nights, and Lord will we'll continue to look at 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Uh, considering the things that the Lord shared uh, with this uh, young man, this preacher, Timothy, and the things that we are to understand. Remember, there's this phrase that's been repeated several times. We'll see it again tonight. That there are certain concepts, certain ideas that are, he says, are trustworthy. Ideas that can absolutely be not only understood, but understood to be the rock-solid, unchanging truth that you can count on yesterday, today, tomorrow. You can count on these things from the Lord to us. Uh, we've talked about leadership in worship. We've talked about elders and deacons, and we've even seen at the end of chapter 3 the amazing work and person of Jesus Christ. He is the divine Son of God who has done things that only He can do, who continues at this moment to be interceding on our behalf because as it says he was taken up in glory and so he rules and reigns and watches over us even now and that brings us to chapter four tonight as we look at first timothy four we're going to consider a few of the very specific instructions that were given to timothy as a preacher things that he was expected to do a kind of individual he was expected to be but you're going to very clearly see there's numerous applications for you and for me in this. Uh, what we're going to see is there's going to be this focus on the whole person, a focus on being, being balanced. I heard recently someone sort of saying they didn't like the, the concept or didn't like the idea of talking about balance, and I think that's crazy. You and I must be balanced in everything we do because you can take anything, even good things, you can take righteous things and use them to your detriment. And so we're going to see tonight about being balanced with the right combination of thinking and feeling, the right combination of, of teaching and doing. We've got to be balanced in these things the way that, that Scripture calls us to be. So let's, let's talk first about what the Lord says about thinking as well as feeling. Uh, we're going to see that we're called to do both. Timothy was called to be a, a deep and careful thinker, but he was also called to be someone who could feel, whose heart could be touched and could be grateful and thankful and, and all of these things. 
And so in like fashion, what I'm telling you is the scripture tells us this. You and I are to be thinkers, clear thinkers, deep thinkers. But we'll also be the kind of people that can feel that are emotional and understand that there's times where we're to weep and there's times where we're to laugh. There's times where we're to be stone-faced and there's times where we're to be just absolutely bowled over. That's the kind of people we're to be. So read with me. Let's read verses 1 through 5 together. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. He says... Uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving, and by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and by prayer. Now, here's the first thing that we want to consider the fact that he says that we are to be, he says to Timothy, you're to be a clear and deep thinker. And so by extension, you and I are to be thinkers as well. He says there in verse one, in the first part of verse two, that there's going to be people who teach lies. They're going to teach lies in the name of the Lord. And what you've got to do is think through it. You've got to reason through it and you've got to see through it. The Lord said another place, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, that we're to prove all things or test everything and then to hold fast to that which is good. That means here's your ability to think because the Lord will give you one message. The Lord will, has revealed what he wants from us here and then someone else will come along and give a different message. And he says plainly, test it, prove it, put it to the test. And then you reject what's a lie, you reject what's false, and you hold on to, with every fiber of your being, you hold on to what's true and good. John would write it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Do not believe every spirit, but test those spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now that sounds very, very similar to this. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. They'll devote, devote themselves to deceitful, lying spirits. They'll devote themselves to the teachings of demons and through the insincerity of liars. Now we'll pause right there in the middle of that sentence. The insincerity of liars, they will come to you and teach these things. And so what the Lord says is, we've got to see through the lies. The Lord absolutely expects us to see biblical matters alike. And I recognize that's a tall order, and I recognize that so many have just given up on that, just started to say, well, you know, it's just okay. We see things differently, and that's just fine. We all love Jesus, and that's okay. No, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. The Bible makes it plain. The Lord's expectation of us is that we will be of the same mind and of the same judgment. Sincerity isn't enough. In Romans chapter 10 at verse 2, Paul said of those people he loved so dearly, those fellow countrymen, his fellow Jews, he said, I can testify. Romans 10 2, boy, they are, they've got a zeal for God. They love God. But their zeal doesn't match knowledge. Their zeal doesn't match the truth. And so he's, he's concerned about them. He's worried about them. And so here we're told 
that there are some who will once upon a time be part of the faith, but then they'll fall away from the faith. That's the message. Some will depart from the faith. So there's, a, there's another message. It's absolutely true that it's possible to fall away from the truth. It's possible to fall away from the faith. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, Hebrews 6, verse 6, and right here, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Bible teaches that it is possible to fall away from faith. That's another lie that's taught by the world. Well, once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you've come into the faith, you can never leave the faith. No, he says it here and again and again and again that you can know the truth, believe the truth, obey the truth, and then later believe a lie and go away. Why would we say and twist anything else than what Scripture says right here plainly before us? We've got to be careful thinkers. Sincerity is not enough. It's, sincerity is required. Sincerity is necessary, but it's not enough. We also must be devoted to the truth. And so he says, you've got to carefully think about the things you're saying, carefully think about what others are saying, and make sure that you only teach and listen to and embrace that which is true and good and right. We've got to think clearly. But the other half of that is not only we have to be good thinkers, careful thinkers, we've got also got to be the kind of people that can be emotional and feel and are thankful for that. Look at, at two, the second half of, of verse 2. He said, there are some whose consciences have been seared the imagery is that of one that once upon a time could, could feel and, and you know, laugh and cry, and now all, all of a sudden, because of what they've been through, because of the decisions they've made, choices they've made, the things that have, outcomes for where they are, now their hearts are like stone. There's no getting to them anymore. Some people reach a point where their hearts can no longer be touched by the message, by the messenger, by the situation, there are some who finally get to the point where they're just set. And that can't be us. Because this is the warning. When he says there's some whose consciences have been seared, there's some whose hearts are just like rocks. That's a terrible thing. He's saying that's a warning. Don't be like that. Don't allow yourself to get to that point because that's awful. We've got to continue to be the kind of people whose hearts can, can be convicted of sin. Like it says in Acts 2.37, that imagery there in Acts 2.37 is just so vivid and so powerful. As Peter and the others had stood up before that crowd of thousands and they had preached a pure, clear, clean gospel message about Jesus being the Christ. And there were people who realized they were sinners. They realized that Jesus was the only hope they had and they'd rejected him. They realized that Jesus was the only way to the Father and they had helped encourage, put him on the cross. And they were scared, and they were sad. And it says in Acts 2.37, their hearts were cut open. They didn't have hearts that were seared. They had hearts that were soft, and so it was cut by the message. Acts, excuse me, Luke chapter 5, verse 8. Luke chapter 18, verse 13. Again and again and again, we see Luke going back to this idea of those that hear a message and are touched by it. In, in Luke 5, 8, that's when Peter has that encounter with the Lord, where the Lord tells them where to go and fish, and they bring in all these things. And when Peter sees Jesus' power, he falls down before Jesus and says, get away from me. I'm too sinful to be around you. And in Luke 18, 13, that's the account where the, the publican goes to the temple to pray. Remember, there's the, the Pharisee who's saying, look at me, I'm great, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. And that one tax collector wouldn't even look up. 
He just beat on his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. His heart was touched. We need to be able to be convicted of sin, that when we see sin in our life, we can recognize it and hate it and recognize how it hurts the Lord and hurts uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to be, uh, you know, hate that and move away from that. But we also need to be able to rejoice and, and enjoy the, the good things that God gives us. I'm reminded of Luke 15, verse 23, when Jesus tells that parable of the, the prodigal son. Remember, the son had gone away for such a long time. He finally comes home, says he came to himself, and so he went home. And we know what the father does. The father sees him, rushes out, puts the shoes on his feet, the cloak on his back, the ring on his hand. He does all these things. But he says in Luke 15, 23, I think this is really the key for what we're thinking about here. He says, it's time for us to have a feast. It's time for us to celebrate. It's time to rejoice for the fact that this one that was gone is home. And so he's saying it's okay and it's good and it's right to celebrate when sinners come home. 2 John verse 4, 3 John verse 3, John says, I have no greater joy. My heart leaps when I hear about someone that's obeyed the gospel, when I hear about those who've known the Lord and continue to walk with him in faithfulness. He says, I rejoice in that. My heart, even at my advanced old age, John would say, my heart continues to be overjoyed whenever I hear of people being faithful. So there's two sides of, of this idea he says that some have these hearts that are so hard. But what he says, look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 3. That some are forbidding marriage. All they're about is just the way you can seem to be holy is by the things you put away, by the things you refuse to do. No marriage, abstain from certain foods. And he said, but God made these things to be received. Listen to this. He made these things to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and, and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For he made it holy by the word of God and by prayer. We're to be thankful for what God has done for us. Hearts that, that can feel and be glad and be full of gratitude and just be overflowing with appreciation. That's who we're to be. People who think carefully about the message that's presented, who think carefully about what it is we do and say, and then are also able to, to feel, feel sadness over sin and feel joy over faithfulness. And there's this next part. Not only must we think and feel, we must also teach and lead. Read these verses with me, starting at verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, who trained or being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we, we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them 
so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So let's think first about this half of the coin, if you will, of teaching. Verse 6, he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you notice what he's saying there? If you take what I've given you, if you take the message of the Lord, if you take what's been instructed to you, and then you take them and give them to the brethren, you're doing the right thing. Now that's what it, all of this is about. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning for Bible class. That's why we come together on a Wednesday night for Bible class. That's why we take multiple times out of the day today to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and to open up God's word together again and again and again. We continue to do these things so that we can be given the message of God and then we can give it to someone else. And so he says to Timothy, if you will take these things you've been taught and if you will put them before other people, because you see, the part of this is just this. If you take the message of God and just keep it, well, that's great for you. But that's not what a disciple is called to do. A disciple is called to take the things the Lord has given and then put them in front of somebody else. He says, so if you put these things before the brothers, you're, you're being a good servant of Christ Jesus. Because you've been trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. So since you've been trained in that, you go give it to somebody else, right? Then look at verse 11. Command and teach these things. Teach with authority. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, where, that the one who speaks the message of God is to speak as the oracles of God. Now what that means is this. If you have a thus saith the Lord, you recognize this is the message of God. If God exists and if this is his, his word, then whatever this book teaches, it is true. And so whenever I say, this is what the Bible says, that's speaking with authority. Now, when I close this book and start to say, now I feel, now then we got a problem. But he says, what you're to do is command and teach these things. Speak with authority when you read these things, when you share these things. Because as Paul would write later on to the church in Thessalonica, I'm so thankful that when you got these things from me, when you received these things from me, you recognized it wasn't just a word of man, but you received it for what it is, a message from God. And so he was speaking with authority. And so when we share the simple, pure message of God, we're speaking with the authority of God. Next is this. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, until I come, I want you to devote yourself to three things. Until I'm back with you, while we're separated, while I'm in one location and you're in another, here's the three things I want you to be doing, Timothy. First of all, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Give time to where what is put in front of others is just God's Word. More time with the message being spoken, less time with opinions being given. That's the idea. Give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And secondly, give yourself to exhortation encouragement, building up. And then thirdly, he says, give yourself to teaching. There are several passages of Scripture that sort of encapsulate this threefold idea of what Timothy and others, all of us are to be doing. Giving the message, sharing the message, reading God's Word, encouraging others to enjoy it, love it, obey it, and then teaching the finer points about it. One example that comes to mind is Nehemiah 8.8. 8. 
In Nehemiah 8, we've got the circumstance, the record here of when Ezra and the others, they finally have come across the law and what they're going to do is spend vast amounts of time reading the law to the people. You remember this there in Nehemiah 8, it says that at one point Ezra started reading early in the morning and just kept reading the law till midday. And you know what the people did? Stood, listened. At times they bowed down and worshiped whenever they were convicted and torn apart by the message. And so they just let the message wash over them. They were ready to stand and be at attention and listen hour after hour after hour. This is what it says in Nehemiah 8.8. They read from the book. So they read from the law of God and they read clearly. But then it says this. Not only did they read the law of God clearly, then they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. It's similar to what's happening in, in Acts chapter 8 when the Ethiopian has gone to Jerusalem, now he's in his chariot, he's on the way back home, and Philip meets them there on the road as sent by God. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Because he was reading Isaiah out loud. Isaiah 53, he's reading it out loud as he drives along. And he says, you know what? I, I don't understand what I'm reading. I need, I need someone to help me. I need someone to give me the sense of what I'm reading. Is he talking about himself, the prophet talking about himself, or some other person? And so he said, it started right there in that spot. And said, let me give you the sense. The prophet's talking about Jesus the Christ, let me tell you. Then there's this. Go to Luke chapter 4, because Jesus would do this exact thing when it says to give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Well, no better example to follow than Jesus the Christ. Look at Luke 4. Jesus went, says in Luke 4, let's start at about uh, 16, verse 16, Luke 4, 16. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, what was normal for him to do, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And just like Ezra and Nehemiah, when the word of God was read in their hearing, what they do? They stood up because that was a holy, divine, special message that was being shared. They didn't treat it like some, just, you know, just any other message that you can hear any other time. It wasn't like some novel being read. It was special. And so it says that of Jesus, that he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And so in the hearing of all those that are there in the synagogue, he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, of recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And so then he began to give the sense, right? He read it publicly to them, and now he's going to give them the sense of what it was about. He began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, that was about me. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't this just Joseph's son? And then there's, there's other examples. There's Acts 15, verse 21, that it says that from ancient generations, meaning Year after year after year, Moses was read every single Sabbath day in the synagogues. That means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God's word was read out loud. It was read publicly in the hearing of the people. And then there's this. Revelation 1.3. Let's just look at that together real quick. Revelation 1.3. Because I want to impress upon you just how often, this is just the tip of the iceberg, but I want to impress upon you how often Scripture emphasizes the need to gather together and publicly, out loud, read God's amazing, matchless, 
perfect word. Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So the one who reads this out loud is blessed. But then it says this. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written in it for the time is near. Everybody receives a blessing when the word of God is read. Even more, everyone receives a blessing when the word of God is read, understood, and then acted upon. And so he says, blessed is the one who reads this prophecy aloud, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written. So that's what he had been told to do. Teach. Read these things. And then give the sense and encourage people to, to take part, encourage others to be obedient to the message that God has shared. Read publicly, encourage, and teach them. That's your job. But that's not it. It's not just that he can stand up and, and read from God's word and then sit down and say, well, you better get to work. He says the other half of this, not only of teaching, but the other half, the balanced life part of this, is to lead by example. Look at those verses with me, 7 through 10. In 7 through 10 of 1 Timothy 4, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training has some value, godliness is a value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and the life to come. And this saying is trustworthy. Here's the saying that's full of all acceptance. To this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who's the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. And then verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now let me say two things before we get to verse 15. First of all, he's told Timothy this. Train yourself. Train yourself. That's what verses 7 through 10 are about. He says, if you will train yourself to be godly, because there's, there's the training we do to get in shape, get ready for football season, get ready for basketball season. There's the training that we do. But he says there's a different kind of training. You're to train yourself, like it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Train yourself to be able to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong. Train yourself. Practice. Like Alan said this morning, we're all practicing something. You and I ought to be practicing how to discern the difference between good and evil, righteous and unrighteous, demonic and heavenly. And he says this is going to be valuable to you right here, right now, as well as later. If you are someone who's training yourself to be godly now, you'll be happier, you'll be more content, you'll be more full of hope, you'll have less strife and less stress, and you'll also be ready for eternity later. You'll be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And he says, don't let anybody, there in verse 12, don't let anybody despise your youth. Now normally, if you're at all like me, normally when you've read that, you know, over the years, you think, well, that, you know, there's... A, a message to our junior high and high school kids there, right? Don't let anyone despise your youth. You're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. And those, those are true things. But here's something that's really interesting to me. When Paul writes this letter to Timothy, Timothy's most likely in his 30s. You and I would say, if he's already in his 30s, he's already probably got some gray like this guy. I mean, he's, he's been living for a while. But in this time frame, at this point in time, because remember, he says it's the elders who are going to lay their hands on you. That's why I've told you before. That word that's translated elders, it means old people. 
They've been through it. They've worked hard. They've gone through the ups and downs in life. And he says to this 30-year-old guy, maybe even close to 40-year-old, he says, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth. The point is, he's at a spot in time where someone could say to him, I don't know if you've been through enough yet. I don't know if you have had enough experience yet. And he says, you know how you deal with criticism? You know how you deal with people backbiting? You know how you deal with people behind closed doors who are saying things about you? Here's how you deal with that. Your conduct, your example. You keep on, no matter what people are saying, your speech is to continue to be pure. No matter what other people are doing or saying about you, your manner of life continues to be righteous. You keep on loving other people. You keep on displaying a powerful living faith. You keep on being pure, not only in word, but in life, in word, in body. You keep being the person you know God's called you to be, whether you are 13 or 18 or 38 or whatever it might be. You don't let anybody use your age as a detriment to you being God's man or woman. He said, Timothy, you keep being who you need to be. You keep teaching and preaching and doing those things God called you to do, and you keep leading by example. That brings us to verse 15. Because in verse 15, he says, you practice these things. You immerse yourself in them so that all can see your progress. Live in such a way that others see it. Because you're going to teach them. You're going to stand before them and teach them. And so then you must go practice what you preach. Because everybody needs to know that hypocrisy destroys credibility. Hypocrisy is going to repel the people who might be seeking what is true, good, and right. And so he says, you teach these things. You read publicly, and then you encourage them to follow. You encourage them to be obedient. He said that what you do then is you live in such a way that they can see you growing. 